This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Now, Connected to Chicago. And welcome to Connected to Chicago. On January 3rd, you'll have to show proof of vaccination in Chicago and suburban Cook County to get into places like restaurants and gyms. And with that, we welcome in Alderman Tom Tunney of the 44th Ward. And Alderman, I thought it would be appropriate to have you add to the conversation because you are a business owner, the Ann Sather Restaurant there on Belmont Avenue. So thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. And um, happy holidays and healthy New Year to you and your fans and our fans. To you as well. So take your political hat off, if you will, for the moment. Put the business owner hat on. Tell me, what does this mean for business owners? What's the impact of this new showing proof of vaccination? Well, it's going to be a new burden. Um, Obviously, the threat was another shutdown like we had last year about this time. So I think restaurateurs are um, two ways. I mean, they they understand there's a burden uh, and maybe hiring an extra staff person at the door, uh, which, you know, for restaurants generally is not the case. Bars generally have somebody checking IDs anyways. But Um, It's going to be a burden, but um, I also believe that there is a sense of confidence, I believe, with customers knowing that they can eat safely um, indoor dining. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how it works out. But I know that there was a lot of negotiations uh, involved in trying to keep uh, businesses open. And as you say, that includes uh, bars, restaurants, gyms, theaters and such. So we cannot afford another lockdown in this economy at all. What's your understanding on how this would be enforced? Is it strictly up to the businesses to do this? Is there going to be? Well, you know, like the, the customer itself, you know, they're the biggest critic. If they're, if they're seeing a lackadaisical attitude towards this, I'm sure they'll be reporting it to the Consumer Affairs. And, uh, you know, there'll be, you know, there'll be a health inspection sooner than later. And, uh, you know, social media is what it is. Um, you, you really want to stay in compliance and you don't want to lose goodwill with your customers either. So. Some restaurant owners are asking that the date that this goes into effect gets pushed back to January 15th. We're recording this on the 29th of December. They say they need more time to train staff and get ready for angry customers. Do you share those concerns? I, I, you know, I think they're delaying the inevitable, to be honest with you. I mean, we've been fearful of another lockdown for many months. Um, and there, there have been uh, establishments already that have been carting. I know in Wrigleyville and uh, in Boys Town, they've been carting um, for months uh, once that they allowed um, indoor capacity. And so, you know, there's never a good there's never a good date. And I think, honestly, I was surprised they let the businesses um, get through the first of the year. You know, there's obviously some concern around New Year's Eve and New Year's Day with all the get-togethers and the, and the excitement around New Year's Eve. So it's, um, you know, there's never a good time. Was there ever any talk of rapid testing at the door, or is that just, I mean, that would that would be worse, right? Worst-case scenario for a business owner? I think so. I mean, a proof of a right. So vaccination or proof of a negative test. You know, I, I did some traveling, and, you know, um, actually, when I was down in Mexico, I, I had to have a test within 24 hours of return. Um, so, you know, I think, unfortunately, society is dealing with the pandemic and uh, they're, um, you know, I think they're not happy. But I know that 
being out and about in a safe environment is really what you know our customers want and obviously we're here to please customers and keep our workplace safe too uh you know our employees um we thank god we haven't had major issues in our company but a lot of people have and they've been down for what seven to ten days um and you don't want that to happen either what are some of the things you do there as a business owner to ensure that there's a safe environment there within the restaurant well, you know, we mask up for sure. Um, and then, um, you know, we don't do the six foot distancing, you know, that, that, that requirement seemed to have has waned. Uh, but we try to make sure that everyone's aware of, you know, proper hygiene, washing your hands. Um, you know, I think a lot of people just are, have you know, over the years become lax on general hygiene. And so, you know, part of us is to make sure that we train and retrain our employees that you've got to keep, um, you know, you got to keep yourself safe and you got to keep the environment clean. Um, it's, um, it's honestly, especially with the labor shortage today and the lack of workers, it's really, really difficult. Um, it's not just the lockdown. It's, it's a lot of other factors that, you know, are making it very difficult, especially for small businesses to stay open in this, in this kind of environment. Right. As you know, January 1st, the wages keep going up and, you know, it's hard sometimes to pass costs on to, um, you know, in the marketplace. So switching caps now, uh, as an alderman, how has your ward weathered during this pandemic? What are the constituents saying? How how are the businesses doing there in the 44th? Well, I have to say, while um, we've been affected you know, I think some of our neighborhoods have actually done a little better once they get through the initial wave. I think what I see is more uh, fragility downtown. Um, I think uh, our neighborhood has uh, weathered the storm. Yes, we did lose some, but, um, you know, our, our vacancy rate is a number of factors. I mean, the Amazon effect has changed retail as we know it. Um, you know, the, the, the bar and restaurant scene, I think, is doing pretty well. Uh, but you know, general retail is difficult. And, uh, so it's, uh, but I'm, I'm happy that as far as the alderman of Lakeview, I just got noticed yesterday that the, uh, 60657 zip code, which is basically Lakeview has the highest vaccination rate, um, in the state. So people are getting it. They know they getting their vaccination and their boosters. Uh, but it's been a hell of a year. I can't, I cannot underestimate the pain that um, not only the, the, the health crisis, but the financial crisis as such. And, um, you know, I don't know of any amount of federal largesse that can that can resuscitate some of, of these businesses. We've been through a very difficult time. And, and I've been in this business for almost 40 years, and it, we've never seen anything like it. Well, and that was going to be my next question as far as is more federal help needed uh, for some of these businesses, or is it just – We've come to the point well, where if they're going to close, they're going to close. Well, I think that's one of the reasons in the state of Illinois we're trying to keep businesses open. Uh, we, you know, I think the federal government has done a yeoman's job in regards to PPP and some other uh, some other grant programs. But this can't go on forever. You know, we're borrowing against our future on this stuff, and uh, we've got to learn to live with this side effects of this pandemic. I mean, I it, when you do as much homework as I do, you know, they're talking about this is going to be around for a number of years. 
And uh, none of none of your listeners nor I were around on the 1917-18 pandemic. But you know, it's we don't know the end of this thing, and I think we're going to have to live with it and and try to follow the science and try to make sure that we strongly encourage everyone, customers um, and employees, that they've got to get vaccinated. And it's 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 accessible. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of a burden to get a piece of paper every week about uh, your employee um, uh, that did not want to get vaccinated is going to show proof of negative uh, tests. So it's um, we'll see. We'll see how many employees uh, we lose. And we really can't afford to lose any, given the, the situations happened over the last 18 months, 20 months. Well, so the latest CDC guidance, though, has got to help, right? That quarantining for 10 days down to five five days. Yeah. 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 I mean, it it, it all helps. But, um, you know, who knows who knows what the next variant is going to be, too. You know, um, this is why I think we have to learn to live in this era of precaution and masking and just paying very close attention to the science. Um, So. I'm um, I'm fortunate that uh, we have weathered the storm so far, but uh, it's been a very, very difficult time for small business. And that's probably your advice to folks would be if you can get out there and support small businesses in your community, right? Oh, and y- yes, yes, sir. Um, you know that there has been so much of uh, consolidation and the big companies taking good workers. Obviously, they're making more money with their their own scheduling and and benefits, educational benefits. Small business cannot compete with some of these with with these big guys. They just can't. And part of what I've been able to keep my employees is they know I'm with them every day. You know, I've been through thick and thin with them and their families and their individual issues. And I, you know, thank God I have a, a loyal staff. Um, but you still have to pay them more if you're if the person coming in the door is 15. I got a person that's working for me for 15 years. It might be at 18. You know, no. that that doesn't work. You know, people are not stupid. Right. <laughs> I'd no. like to ask you if I could on another subject, um, and I've asked some other aldermen about it in past programs, about crime in the, in the city and what you think the city should do to curb violence. Um, do you think it's a, a lack of staffing within the CPD, not enough cops? Are there some other ideas that you have thinking outside of the box? Well, I, I, I would say as, as a person on the budget committee for the city of Chicago, we have, comp- we have not been defunding the police department. So the resources are there. Morale is not there. And recruitment is difficult, not just in Chicago, but across the country. Um, but I think the other part of the problem is is just the kind of – um, I think uh, coordination of strategies, federal, state, county, and city. You know, we've got a uh, we've got a Democratic Party here in the state of Illinois, and as you can see by reading the papers, they hardly talk to each other. You know, and I think whether it's stricter um, penalties, whether it's electronic monitoring, um, you know, I know our neighborhood is no pun intended up in arms and just unbelievably upset about their inability to take a walk at night or walk their dog after dark. I mean, this is not the state of Lakeview, nor nor has been. But the perception, and in some cases, as you know, with the carjackings, they happen in every neighborhood. And um, 
we've got, I know the mayor's uh, address a week ago or 10 days ago talked about ATF agents, federal help from Biden administration. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the mayor's proposed a moratorium on electronic monitoring for the series of, of serious crimes, but it all takes uh, it all takes us working together. So because of the lack of communication, you think that perhaps there's, you know, maybe some lines of communication need to be opened up between. I mean, because what can what can the state offer as far as help? Well, no, legislatively, uh, they can relook at some of the sentencing, some of the of, of the guidelines. No, they have a they have a big they're a big part to, uh, of this. Um, I think back over the last two or three years, uh, there's been some bills passed in Springfield that I think were probably too lenient. Um, but they're on the books now, and I think they've got to rethink it. Um, and I think that's what they're going to do come spring. Okay, I guess we'll sit and wait and see if they take action. And there's talk about Tim Evans and, and trying to get you know, the courts unclogged and get people in, in front of judges. And uh, so it's, it's not just something the mayor can do on her own. It requires a team, and, um, and it requires, in my opinion, a lot more coordination um, within the various levels of government. Because we're funding, we're funding the police department. I guarantee you, we're funding them at full capacity. Okay. So is there still a backlog of cases at the, in the courts? Is that what you heard? Because I know that for a while the courts were closed because of COVID. Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, yes. And, you know, we met with, uh, you know, one of the things we had a we had a long meeting in, in Lakeview Leaders uh, before COVID, by the way, with Kim Fox, when she was talking about changing the retail theft uh, to misdemeanors from 300 uh, to 1,000. Mm-hmm. And this was before COVID. And I think people I think she has even publicly acknowledged that she's uh, uh, looking at rethinking that um, level and maybe lowering it back down to some um, amount, because I think people think that they can do what they want in retail theft and they're not they're not going to be uh, really charged as a felony for sure. Right. Right. I know you were on earlier this week with Ray Stevens, uh, Ramblin' Ray, on our station, and he talked about the the AIDS Garden Chicago, which broke ground in June. It's set to fully reopen, or fully open, I should say, this coming year in 2022. Uh, Tell me the significance of the park. Well, the park is really uh, an educational park, but it's also in memory of the hundreds and thousands of individuals uh, that succumbed to the HIV and AIDS epidemic. You know, I'm I'm a senior citizen pretty much, and uh, about half my generation in their 20s and 30s lost their lives. And basically, it was out of ignorance. Um, and the government didn't really get involved in, until Bill Clinton, honestly. And um, But here we are today trying to get to zero and uh, end uh, HIV and, and AIDS in our lifetime. And I think this is part of, um, you know, part of my responsibility as a leader in the LGBT community to recognize the loss and, um, in, in some respects, uh, the coming out of the closet of the gay and lesbian movement, you know, I think was a reaction to government inaction with the AIDS epidemic. And by the way, yeah. who was leading the AIDS charge back then? Who was, in the, who was the scientist? It's Fauci. Dr. Fauci. Can you imagine? Still doing the work. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, I was going to say with, with with regards to the park. So not only does it you know have this teaching purpose, but it's serving as a memorial of sorts. Well, the, right off Belmont, off of Lakeshore Drive is where the where the park is, and that in the seventies, eighties um, was a, 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 a gay beach, and it was you know at the time most of the gay community were closeted or they were in bars that had no windows um, and no you know in so this was kind of an outdoor freedom area there because there really is no beach it was the belmont rocks and uh early in i think it was 03 2003 uh the city or the army corps of engineers basically bulldozed the uh rocks and created the concrete revetment that's there today and so it'd been my idea that we would memorialize this safe space from the 70s and 80s and commemorate um obviously uh um, a loss of so many individuals to um, HIV. A bit of history I did not know about. Um, Anything else going on in your ward that uh, you want to tell folks about? Well, the only thing that we're working very closely with Lakeview Pantry, you know, they've had a just just an incredible expansion, um, and, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, I've been very close to helping them, being a, a food guy myself, you know, we just really think that they've done just a yeoman's job, and they've been doing it for many, many years. But they've ex- they've expanded uh, pre-COVID and at a great, a great time, unfortunately. But so I'm, you know, those are those are my two favorite uh, holiday um, wishes for you know prosperity. Alderman, thanks so much for the time today. I really do appreciate it. All right, happy and healthy New Year. Thank you. And my thanks to 44th Ward Alderman Tom Tunney for being on the program. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. And welcome back to Connected to Chicago, where we are going to do a year in review. A look back at some of the top stories of 2021. One of the big stories that grabbed the attention of the nation was the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Rittenhouse accused of shooting three people too fatally during protests that turned into riots in Kenosha last year. He claimed self-defense. Judge Bruce Schrader, the first day of trial, saying, I don't care about your opinions on the Second Amendment or somebody else's that are directly contrary. One of the beauties of the jury system, although it's not intended, is that it brings together the, a composite of the community. And it isn't just being, a case isn't being decided on political basis. Video showing how Rittenhouse was essentially attacked, hit with a skateboard, another person pursuing him with a gun. The Antioch teen taking the stand in his own defense, handling cross-examination well. So you felt that as a 17-year-old, it was appropriate for you to be out on the streets of Kenosha with an AR-15 that night. Fair? I believe I had any other right to be there as anybody else. As any other adult? As anybody. But you weren't an adult? No. But earlier he had broken down as the events of that night had come rushing back to him in court. That's right, run. <laughs> At the conclusion of the trial, he would be found not guilty. The defendant will rise and face the jury and hearken to its verdicts. State of Wisconsin versus Kyle Rittenhouse. As the first count of the information, Joseph Rosenbaum. We, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the second count of the information, Richard McGinnis, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. 
Rittenhouse would later appear on the Fox News Channel. This case has nothing to do with race. Um, it never had anything to do with race. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Right. Um, I'm not a racist person. I support the BLM movement. I support peacefully demonstrating. It wasn't Kyle Rittenhouse on trial in Wisconsin. It was the right to self-defense on trial. Right. The Rittenhouse trial was one of the biggest trials of this decade to date, but perhaps only behind the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Eleven months after the world watched George Floyd die under the knee of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, perhaps one of the most consequential verdicts of our young century was reached on April 20th, 2021. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, find the defendant guilty. Demonstrators celebrated in Minneapolis and elsewhere as Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murdering George Floyd. The moment brought hope to those who had called for a change in the relationship between police and black Americans. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Another big story of the year, Bill Cosby walking out of prison a free man after Pennsylvania's highest court tosses his sexual assault conviction. After three years behind bars, Cosby walked out of prison in June. ABC chief legal correspondent Dan Abrams. This opinion says nothing about his innocence. There is no judgment from the court here about whether the allegations are true or false, etc. It is only about this question about what the initial prosecutor had promised, assured the Cosby team. The court finding that the prosecutor who brought the assault charges essentially reneged on an immunity deal Cosby had with a previous prosecutor. He spoke with ABC News. Nobody had the sense to say, wait one second. This doesn't match up with the truth. His accusers, including Victoria Valentino and Patricia Storyer, furious. He's a sociopath. Why did I even bother to go through this? If this is the outcome? I'm ABC Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas. 2021 found an old debate rekindled with some of the strongest challenges to abortion rights since the Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. ABC's Jim Ryan in Texas, one of the two states where lawmakers have worked to fashion their own laws on the matter. My choice! My My choice! On the streets, the two sides lined up as they always have. But in the chambers of the Texas and Mississippi legislatures, conservative lawmakers were crafting what they hoped would be abortion restrictions that would stand up to legal challenges. The new Mississippi law prohibits the procedure after 15 weeks. House Speaker Philip Gunn. We believe that the people of the state of Mississippi believe in the sanctity of human life. The Texas law prohibits an abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected. Governor Greg Abbott says that's hardly a ban. It provides at least six weeks for a person to get an abortion. Oye, oye, oye. The Mississippi statute was the first to make it to the Supreme Court, where Justice Sonia Sotomayor questioned the legitimacy of overturning a 50-year-old precedent. If people actually believe that it's all political, how will we survive? A decision from the high court is expected by the end of June. Jim Ryan, ABC News. Out in New York. Andrew Cuomo out as governor of that state after 11 women came forward accusing him of sexual harassment. The New York State Attorney General finding the allegations against Cuomo credible, including those from former top aide Charlotte Bennett. It's sad. It like takes a piece of you a little bit, but I would do it over again. She detailed repeated inappropriate and intimate conversations initiated by Cuomo. He resigned in August, denying that he harassed anyone. This is not to say that there are not 11 women 
who I truly offended. There are. And for that, I deeply, deeply apologize. But Bennett says... He still, in fact, won't take responsibility, even in his resignation speech. And even afterwards, he's still willing to uh, try and discredit us. And I am at a point where I'm exhausted. Cuomo's resignation making Kathy Hochul the first woman to serve as New York's governor. Derek Dennis, ABC News. The end of 2021 also marks the end of President Biden's first year in office. And he closes out the year with his approval ratings on the skids. On January 20th, President Biden was sworn into office. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. Kamala Harris making history as the first female vice president and woman of color in the White House. Looming large, the attack by a mob of violent pro-Trump protesters that took place at the U.S. Capitol just two weeks before. President Biden's top priority coming into office was getting the COVID-19 pandemic under control. Vaccine production and distribution ramped up. Millions of Americans got their shots. A summer return to normalcy seemed possible, but then the Delta variant arrived, driving up cases and pushing many state and local leaders to reinstate COVID restrictions. In August, President Biden faced major backlash over the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. 13 service members killed in an attack at the Kabul airport. An ABC News Washington Post poll in mid-November found the president's job approval rating at a new low, just 41 percent. Look at every other president. The same thing has happened, but that's not why I ran. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. 2021 seemed more violent than normal here in Chicago with smash and grabs and carjackings grabbing local and national attention. In the city, over 4,500 people were shot, over 800 homicides, as the mayor continues with the narrative that quelling the violence is forefront in her mind. I wake every morning with this as my first concern, and I push myself every day and all involved to step up and do more and better because we cannot continue to endure the level of violence that we are now experiencing. Yet weekend after weekend, the number of dead and wounded from violence across the city continued to add up. A big blow came when large groups of people swelled into Millennium Park and took to the streets, injuring Chicago police officers as well as a bus driver. Look, let me just say this. Number one, um, our children who are behaving themselves have a right to be any place they are they want to be in our city, underscoring if they're behaving themselves. If they are not, then we are going to take significant, swift action. Luxury car dealership owner Joe Perillo, respected among those in the business community in Chicago, weighing in on what many say is the revolving door at the state's attorney's office. After his business was hit, a smash and grab involving jewelry cases that he rented out at his high-end dealership. You know, Kim Fox is probably trying to be kind to these kids. Don't put them in jail. They're going to come out criminals. She's signing their death certificate. These kids are going to pull the gun on the wrong guy. He's going to shoot them. Okay? They're going to live by the sword. They're going to die by the sword. Still, despite more crime downtown and along the Mag Mile, the greatest number of shootings remain on the south and west sides. The 10 most violent gun crime neighborhoods being Garfield Park, Englewood, Austin, North Lawndale, Grand Crossing, South Shore, Humboldt Park, Auburn-Gresham, Roseland, and Chatham. 2021 also made Mother Nature angry. Storms of all kinds across the country. 2021, a year of major disasters. 
As the nation found ways to press on in the pandemic, it seemed Americans couldn't get away from tragedy. 98 victims. The condo collapse in Surfside, Florida, killed nearly 100 and led to inspections of high-rises across the state over fears another could come down. Severe weather halting the search several times due to rain and lightning. This as crews raced against the clock to find people who may have survived. 2021 brought storm after storm as states like Louisiana recovered from the deadly Hurricane Ida, then came Nicholas, adding even more devastation. Gun violence, a major issue nationwide, with cities like Philadelphia and Indianapolis setting homicide records, and another school shooting, this time in Michigan. Several students killed and others injured when a classmate opened fire at Oxford High School, leaving families on edge about safety in schools. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. In 2021 business news, it was the cyber attack of choice for a lot of criminals, ransomware, hitting organizations big and small. If it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. Monica Derry in southeastern Florida after systems in Martin County were hit. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. This is the reality, and we should assume, and businesses should assume, that these attacks are here to stay and, if anything, will intensify. One of the biggest of the year, the attack on Colonial Pipeline in April, disrupting gas supplies up and down the East Coast. Meat processing giant JBS Foods also hit in the spring. IT provider Kaseya attacked, which in turn affected hundreds of its clients worldwide. And cybersecurity expert Michael DeCesar says ransomware and cryptocurrency make perfect partners. Ransomware allows somebody to break into a company remotely, um, to steal its assets, and then cryptocurrency allows them to get money from that company also in a unanimous way. Derek Dennis, ABC News. And how about those Hollywood controversies? 2021 was a controversial year for Hollywood, and several celebrities in particular. We need some help. Our director and our cameraman, the cameraman has been shot. The story rocked the film industry. On the set of the movie Rust in New Mexico in October, actor Alec Baldwin fired a gun that wasn't supposed to be loaded, killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins and wounding director Joel Souza. The shooting is under investigation. In February, country singer Morgan Wallen had the number one album on the charts. Then he was caught on tape using the N-word and quickly lost radio and streaming support. He apologized, laid low for months, and will go out on a stadium tour next year. Sometimes the funniest thing to say is me. In October, Dave Chappelle found controversy with his new Netflix special, The Closer, in which he said several things that challenged the LGBTQ community. Amid protests and petitions, Netflix stood by the special. Antebellum parties are not okay. Another controversy saw Chris Harrison lose his job as the longtime host of the Bachelor franchise, while Mike Richards was picked to replace Alex Trebek as host of Jeopardy, then he was fired within weeks. And who can forget the chance of free Britney? It started in February with the New York Times FX on Hulu documentary Framing Britney Spears. People became fascinated with this, her sort of unraveling. The doc led to a lot of support for the pop star. What do we want? Free Britney! And the Free Britney chants went from an obscure online conspiracy theory to a mainstream movement as many started to re-examine why Spears, an adult with two children, was still in a conservatorship 13 years after the mental health problems that put her in the hospital. But she never spoke publicly about wanting out of the conservatorship until June. She made it very clear right out of the gate she feels like this conservatorship is abusive in court, a clearly angry Britney Spears spoke at length about the abuse she suffered while under control of the conservatorship and said everyone involved in it deserved to be in jail, including her father. After that, she was able to pick her own lawyer for the first time, and by November... It is official. The conservatorship of Britney Spears has been terminated. Spears was finally free. Hopefully my story will make an impact and um, make some changes in the corrupt system. Jason Athens in ABC News, Hollywood. 
And those Golden Screen actors who passed this year, Cicely Tyson was one of the first that was lost at the beginning of the year. The 96-year-old Emmy, Tony, and honorary Oscar winner was 96. The heartbeat of the Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts died in August at the age of 80. Larry King, a broadcast legend, hospitalized in January because of COVID. He died at the age of 87. DMX was a rap legend. His death in April at the age of 50, stunning the world. He battled drug addictions for decades, as did The Wire star Michael K. Williams, who died of an accidental overdose in September at the age of 84. Comedian Norm MacDonald was able to keep his cancer secret, dying suddenly in September at 61. The year also saw the loss of pioneering publisher Larry Flint and influential Broadway legend Stephen Sondheim. Some changes here at WLS in 2021. Longtime City Hall reporter Bill Cameron rode off to retirement, as did news director and newsman John Dempsey. But for us here at the Big 89, the biggest loss of the year was a kid from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, who grew up to become one of the most listened-to talk radio hosts in the nation. Kicking off a brand new week, broadcast excellence. The EIB Network and Rush Limbaugh. Go ahead and admit it, folks. You are addicted to this show. EIB, an airborne phenomenon spread by casual contact. When you get it, you are cured. Rush Limbaugh passing away February 17th, 2021, after a battle with cancer. For the longtime WLS listeners, you'll remember his appearance at the WLS Stars on Stage back in October of 2004 at the Chicago Theater. Well, when I was growing up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, uh, I started radio in uh, 16, at, 19, at age 16, which is 1967. And when the sun went down early in the wintertime, we could pick up WLS when Larry Lujak was on in the afternoon, and Larry Lujak was my idol. Larry Lujak, and WLS became my objective. If I could just get to WLS, that to me would have been nirvana. Well, I finally did it, but not when WLS was the Big 89 playing music, but now WLS is the premier talk station in Chicago. And now, my friends, not only am I in Chicago, and not only am I on WLS, I own WLS. And as we close out this segment, we leave you with, as he did every year, a Christmas message, Russia's final Christmas message from December 23rd, 2020. The day is going to come, folks, where I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't know when that is. I want to be able to do it for as long as I want to do it. I want to... But the day will come where I'm not going to be able to. And I want you to understand that even when the day comes, I'd like to be here. As I have this sense of needing to constantly show my appreciation for all that you have done and meant to me. So I hope you all have a great Christmas, a great New Year. And I hope that the things that are in store for all of us in the coming year are certainly better than what we have endured in 2020. I don't know too many people have enjoyed 2020. Probably some sickos out there who have, but 
2021 has to be better. We're going to try to make it that way here at the EIB Network. Again, folks, thank you so much. I wish there were a way to say it other than thank you. You're just the best. My family is just the best. Thank you. Up next, Lauren Cohn. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago. The CDC now recommends at-home COVID tests before indoor gatherings, regardless of vaccination status or whether someone is experiencing symptoms. Dr. Mary Hayden is a professor of internal medicine and pathology and director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Rush University Medical Center. Thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. How accurate are the home tests? Uh, so the home tests, um, when positive, have a, a, a high accuracy, particularly if uh, somebody is symptomatic. The home tests typically are less sensitive than the laboratory-based uh, PCR tests, um, but if they're positive, um, you can feel uh, fairly confident that uh, you are a true positive, that you actually have COVID. So if you take a home test, are you recommended to then go take the PCR test? Yes. So so what's recommended typically is that if you, let's say you're screening before a gathering, uh, particularly if there are going to be elderly folks there or people who might be immunocompromised or at higher risk of um, becoming very seriously ill from infection or maybe who aren't vaccinated. So you want to be very cautious and you want to make sure that you're not uh, asymptomatically uh, infected, so infected without symptoms. So if you test positive and you have no symptoms, what I would do is avoid the gathering because, as I said, um, there's a good chance that you're actually a true positive. But I would also recommend, and I believe it's recommended by CDC, to then get a follow-up uh, PCR test to um, ensure that that uh, home test was actually uh, correct. Now, I don't have any statistics in terms of home testing and accuracy, but I have spoken to a numerous friends who felt they were not exposed, but were going somewhere, like you said, to a gathering. So they took a home test. It was more convenient for them. And they ended up testing positive. Then they went and got the PCR test and were negative. And so they were questioning the validity of the test. And I know there's more than a dozen of them out there. So how do you know which is a better one, especially when we have to talk about the cost of all this being you know, in play? Yeah, no, those are excellent questions. And again, to my knowledge, I think the last time I looked, um, there were about 14 tests that had been approved by FDA um, uh, through the emergency use authorization process for home use. And um, I don't know of very many head-to-head trials of those different tests, nor um, are there very many trials comparing those tests to PCR. So there aren't a lot of data out there to guide consumers about which which test to use. Um, the other thing is that um, you know uh, there's always a little there's always variability in. Um, 
specimen collection. And if you know you're not a healthcare provider, maybe you you don't uh, know how to swab your nose as well as a healthcare provider might. Um, and we also know that um, you know the deep specimens, the nasopharyngeal specimens that you would have uh, collected by a um, healthcare provider um, provide a better specimen, so a more sensitive specimen than the uh, swab that you do in the front part of your nose. So um, there are, um, uh, you know, there there are clearly um, both false positive and false negative results with that test. And again, if you uh, really feel like you haven't been exposed, you're vaccinated, um, you have one of these positive tests, then um, as I mentioned earlier, what you should do is uh, get it confirmed by the PCR. But um, uh, um, if the test is done correctly, and if it's one of the um, commercial tests um, from you know some of the big manufacturers, I would still um, be be concerned that um, that that test is a true positive. In my own experience, um, and and the experience of of my colleagues, and we've used this. I've used this both personally with my family as well as uh, professionally before gatherings um, of uh, healthcare providers with whom I um, work professionally. But uh, the tests that we have used have actually been have been accurate and the only positives that we've seen have been true positives. And can I ask you which home test that was? You, you know, I don't want to that? endorse a particular test. I'm sorry. But I would just say the tests that are um, commercially available, the ones you can get at CVS Walgreens um, by some of the bigger manufacturers are the ones that, um, in my experience, have been um, have been uh, really pretty accurate. Well, and I know the costs have been an issue and, you know, it's about whether or not you get reimbursement for insurance. And a lot of times when you go to the sites for testing, they take your insurance and then or you have to, um, you know, pay the cost. The Biden administration announced that private health insurers will be required to reimburse Americans for the cost of at home testing through the program. But that won't come until January 15th and reimbursements will not be retroactive. So that could be playing a role. But would you suggest that this could be very helpful with schools and children, especially, you know, younger children, you know, who can't get vaccinated. Could this help in sort of mitigating the problems we're having with outbreaks? Yeah, I, th- I do think that um, as part of a layered approach, so, um, uh, you know, masking, staying, the ki- you know, requiring children to stay home if they're at all symptomatic, that um, testing can be useful, um, can be helpful. I know that um, I have heard, again, anecdotally um, about some of the uh, screening tests that, uh, again, not the big commercial tests, but some of the saliva tests, for example, parents complaining that they feel that, um, you know, those are, are less accurate. Um, but um, I think that... Uh, uh, as part of a layered approach, this sort of testing combined with these other non-pharmaceutical interventions can be quite helpful. And again, this is the sort of thing that's being done in, in other countries, in, in Western Europe, for example. Um, I know, uh, you know, children, it's, you know, you get the lunch together, you get the, you know, hats and gloves and coat to get, go out and you um, test the child for COVID before they go off to school. So um, I think, again, as part of a layered approach, it can, it can be helpful and does have a role. Dr. Mary Hayden, thank you so much. And I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago. And thanks this week goes to Michael Garay, the senior technical producer at WLS. I'm Nick Gale, 890 WLS News. Connected to Chicago, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.